Welcome to the Mulcahy Law Firm Podcast. For over 25 years, Mulcahy Law Firm has helped plan communities and condominium associations throughout the state of Arizona. For more information on future classes, seminars, and more podcasts, please visit our website at mulcahylawfirm.com. The antenna bar Zoom, Facebook Live, First Friday free call-in, videos, and podcasts is to provide a forum for board members and community managers to receive answers to HOA and condo legal questions. Please note, the content in these sessions are general in nature and is not intended to and should not be relied upon or construed as legal opinion or legal advice regarding any specific issue or factual circumstance. You should directly consult with an attorney for advice regarding your individual situation. Welcome to the podcast. Here's Beth Mulcahy. Welcome, everybody, class number 10 of our 2021 virtual HOA and Condo Academy. We're here today in partnership with the cities of Avondale, Chandler, Glendale, Goodyear, Mesa, Peoria, Phoenix, Scottsdale, Surprise, and Tempe. My name is Beth Mulcahy, and I'm your presenter today, and I'm the managing partner and senior attorney for the Mulcahy Law Firm in Phoenix, Arizona. I've been working with associations, HOAs, and condominiums for nearly 25 years, My firm currently represents over a thousand plant communities and condominium associations throughout the state of Arizona. And I also serve on my HOA board and have served on it for many years. At this point, since March 2020, our firm has hosted 42 virtual seminars since the coronavirus pandemic started. You know, since March 2020, our virtual classes have combined 47,000 views, which is awesome. So, We're so happy that you have been a part of making these virtual classes successful. And we really appreciate you being here and caring about your community, whether you're a board member, a homeowner, or a manager who works in our industry. So we're going to be sharing some links with you that we think might contain some useful information. First, we're going to have our website, which for those of you who've been there, it's at mulcahylawfirm.com. It contains a wealth of free information for really anyone in our industry, whether you're a board member, a manager, or a homeowner. Um, we also have a LinkedIn page, which is also contains our blog articles and other great information that's free to those who are interested in learning more about what's going on in HOA and condo law. Thank you, everybody, for being here today. This is a great turnout for our October Neighborhood Services Virtual HRA Academy. We're going to be discussing board meetings and annual meetings today, and really every topic associated with those two topics. So we have a lot to cover in an hour. First things first, I always like to know a little bit about who's in my audience, especially when I'm teaching a virtual class. So you can see that we've already put our poll questions up. There's two questions. So the first question is, which city do you reside in? And then the second question is, we'd like to know who's joining us here today. So let us know what your current role is. Are you a board member, community manager, interested homeowner, homeowner, or other person in our industry? So if you can answer those two poll questions, then that really helps me, um, you know, tailor the class to who's here today and make sure that I cover everything that's an important topic for you today. Okay, so it looks like we have many different cities represented here today. It looks like we have Avondale and Goodyear, a large number of people from Chandler, 13%, 11% from Mesa, 3% from Peoria, 17% from Phoenix, 21% from Scottsdale, 2% from Surprise and about 30% from some some other cities within the the state of Arizona. And then if we go to what is your current role, we have 70% of you joining us here today are board members, 13% are community managers, 15% are homeowners, and 3% are other. So great, we have a really wide variety of people here today. A majority of, of you though are board members. 
Okay. Thank you very much for participating in the polls. It really does help us create a better class experience for you and be able to tailor our presentation best for who's in our audience. Okay. So let's start out by talking a little bit about board meetings. So we're going to be sharing a cheat sheet with you via Zoom and also on Facebook Live. It's probably our most popular cheat sheet, and it's called Community Association Board Meetings. And this cheat sheet is a great deep dive if you're interested in, in learning more about this. This is a great deep dive for determining how to set up your board meetings, what type of notice you need, how to comply with the Arizona Open Meeting Law, how to take perfectly proper meeting minutes. So all of that information um, is on that cheat sheet. So I'd encourage you to look at it. If you're joining us after this presentation has been recorded, you can find this cheat sheet on our website at mulcahylawfirm.com and just click on our cheat sheets tab and type in board meetings and that cheat sheet will pop right up. Okay, so the first topic we're going to talk about is board meetings. So this is something that most boards are dealing with or handling on a monthly basis. And so I think we're probably going to spend a majority of our time today or probably 60% of our time today talking about, you know, how to run a board meeting, how to plan it, what are some different problems that can come up during the board meeting. So first, let's talk a little bit about, and we're going to show you also how to have a short board meeting where you accomplish things and you aren't distracted with a whole bunch of other things that are going on and not accomplishing association business. So the first thing that I wanted to talk about is if you want to have a successful regular board meeting, what you need to do is you really do need to plan for it. The planning part of having a board meeting takes some time, but it's going to lead to a better informed board and board members that come into the meeting more prepared. And then just a smoother meeting where you actually accomplish things. We're going to give you some suggestions on how to plan a meeting so that you have a really efficient meeting. So the first thing you need to do is think about your agenda. So, you know, about 10 days before your regular board meeting, a board, the board president and typically the manager will start working on the agenda for the board meeting. And a properly planned agenda is going to provide organization and is, is going to shorten the lengths of meetings. The agenda is the backbone of the board packet, and it needs to include enough detail to help board members prepare for the meeting. And so some suggestions on what I you know, suggest that you have on your agenda uh, for your board meeting would be first to always have the name of your association, what type of board meeting it is. So let's say you're planning it for the October board meeting. So it'd be the October 2021 regular board meeting. You'll want to have the date, the start time, the location for the meeting. On the agenda, the first thing that you'll have typically is approval. Well, first you open the meeting. Um, establish a quorum, and then you're going to approve last month's meeting minutes or whenever your last board meeting um, was, those meeting minutes. Then typically you go into officer reports, then committee reports, and then usually we end up with the manager's report. And sometimes we may have new business, old business also on the agenda. So what I really recommend is that the agenda be very specific. And by that, I mean that you can have the officer reports. You probably want to have the president and the treasurer give a report if your association does that. Um, your committee reports, if there's any like architectural committee issues or any like, budget committee this time of the year, a lot of the budget committees are, are meeting. Um, and then the manager report usually is the longest part of the, the class or of the meeting. And so some recommendations that I have on the agenda. Number one, 
you want to state with particularity what you're going to be discussing so that you know owners will be able to attend if they are interested in a topic. And a lot of associations after the law changed a couple of years ago, they started using the agenda as the notice of meeting because we need to notify owners of what the topics are going to be discussed during regular board meetings. And so basically what a lot of boards did was they just transitioned right into using the agenda as the official notice of the regular board meeting. Some suggestions that I have on the agenda to make your meetings run a little smoother would be that you should put benchmark times on the agenda. So for example, you know, you could put the start time of the meeting, let's say your meeting starts at 6 p.m. From you establish a quorum, let's say between 6 and 6.05 p.m. Um, you approve last month's meeting minutes between 6.05 and 6.10 p.m. You go into officer reports, maybe from 6.10 to 6.25 p.m. Then committee reports, 6.25 to 6.30 p.m. And then the manager's report, let's say from 6.30 to 7 p.m. And then as the president of your association, you really should be trying to stick to those timelines um, to keep people on track and be really efficient with how the meeting is running. So putting those benchmark timeframes on the agenda is really a, a good kind of tip so that you set yourself up to have an hour board meeting. Um, now, obviously, if you have a topic that's going to be like a deep dive, like your this time of the year, you should budget, you know, I'd probably allocate between 15 and 20 minutes for a discussion of the budget. So that that particular meeting where you're discussing the budget may be a longer than normal board meeting. OK, so we talked a little bit about the agenda. We're going to be talking about the notice of meeting in a few minutes. But like I said, a lot of associations are using the agenda to provide the 48 hours notice to the membership of the regular board meeting. So I would encourage you, you know, to include that information on the agenda and then also make sure that you're posting it on the common areas of the association or maybe putting it on your website to provide that 48 hours notice to your membership. Okay, another thing that is a really helpful tip for having regular board meetings is having a board packet for your board members. And typically how this works is that the community manager or a designated board member prepares and distributes the board packet several days in advance of the board meeting. For If you're a plus manager or you're really organized as a board, if the board's doing this, having that board packet to your board at least one or two days in advance of the board meeting is really helpful. Um, I've served on my board for over 14 years and, you know, at varying times and what I can tell you is that I'm a much better board member when I receive the packet at least a day before the meeting and I just skim it and just do a quick run through as to what are going to be the topics of the meeting. So I walk into the meeting informed. And so if you're not doing this, here's some suggestions on how you can you know, set up your board packet for your board meeting. So the board packet is going to contain the agenda a copy of the agenda with the benchmark times that I just talked about, minutes from the previous board meeting that will indicate, you know, a full copy of the draft meeting minutes that the board's going to be approving that, that evening at your board meeting or during the day during, during your board meeting, whenever it is. It's going to contain the financial information for your association, which is going to be discussed when the treasurer gives a financial overview of how things are going this month at your association and a review of last month's financials committee information, the management and the treasurer's reports, 
any important correspondence that your association may have, any bids that your board might be voting on at that board meeting so that you can take a look at those bids before the board meeting. The board packet, this is a really important tip. It should be arranged in the same chronological order as the meeting agenda. And then try to use colored paper or tabs to differentiate each section in your board packet so it's really easy for board members to find which section that you're currently discussing during the board meeting. And then label all these items and place them in the agenda section as to when they'll be addressed. Okay, so we briefly talked a little bit about the notice of board meetings. So what type of notice do we have to give of regular board meetings? So under Arizona law, regardless of what your documents state, the association has to give notice of a regular board meeting at least 48 hours in advance of the meeting by newsletter, conspicuous posting, or any other reasonable means. Then the board really can make the determination as to how to give that 48 hours notice. So bottom line is, if your association is having a regular board meeting, you have to give 48 hours notice of that board meeting to your members. And most of our clients, I can comment on, they're placing notice of the regular board meeting on the association's website. They may be posting it on bulletin boards in the association. Some of them are putting it out in a newsletter. Some of them send out a reminder email. All of these ways of notifying your residents, the board meetings are sufficient under the law. The key thing to remember on your notice of meeting is that the date, time, and location of the meeting must be stated. And the notice of any board meeting must also state the purpose for which the meeting is called. So as I said earlier in this presentation, our firm suggests providing a detailed agenda with the notice of meeting, or you can maybe make the agenda your actual notice of meeting to meet this requirement. Now, a couple little practice pointers that I can we can talk about that I think are important for you to know would be if you're having um, an emergency meeting, the 48 hours notice is suspended. And so we're going to talk about emergency meetings in a minute here, but that's just kind of something important for you to know. A question that I get often on the notice of meetings of regular board meetings is, do we have to notice an executive session? If we're just meeting to discuss executive session topics, do we have to notice an executive session? Absolutely, yes, you do. And we're going to talk about executive sessions here in a minute, but that's going to be where it's just the board discussing executive session topics. And there's a special notice requirement for those executive session meeting minutes or the, for the executive session uh, notice that we're going to talk about in a minute. A few other points on the you know, board meetings. So a couple suggestions here would be remember that you should be conducting your board meetings in a business environment. I mean, I'm kind of laughing saying this, but many years ago, I went to a board meeting, a regular board meeting of a board and they were actually having it at a restaurant and restaurant bar. And when I went back to look at the meeting, you know, to find the meeting, everybody, you know, was basically like sitting around the bar and they had pictures of beer, which really looked like a great time, but it, it wasn't the best business environment. And also some of the questions, you know, there might be some questions regarding, you know, the decision-making by the board, if they were impaired. So um, remember, this is just a short meeting. Let's make it professional, have it in a business environment that could be at a library. It could be in your clubhouse. It could be at your pool area could be in a board member's home. But the key thing is having it in the business environment because really we're running a business here. It's a nonprofit corporation and we need to treat it like that. Some other thoughts are under Arizona law, all meetings of the association and the board must be held in Arizona. 
Uh, now, this has kind of been an interesting dynamic, right, with the pandemic and a lot of us having a virtual meetings due to the governor's stay-at-home orders back in March and April 2020. But the, the way that the law currently reads is that the meeting of the association and the board must be held within Arizona. However, remember, though, that the law does allow for directors to appear telephonically or virtually. You know, this is something that I, I truly do think is going to be changed at some point, maybe even in the 2022 uh, legislative session for the Arizona legislature. Remember, another thing on the location that you're going to suggest for your board meetings is have a neutral location. Conduct meetings in an environment that, you know, enhances productivity and also is not going to cause discord. So you wouldn't want to have it at a board member's home if there is going to be a lot of fighting or yelling. I hope that's not the case. Or let's say that, you know, a board member has a restraining order against an owner and, and that board member decides to have it at their, their home so that that homeowner can't attend. You don't ever want to do something like that. Just have it in a neutral business-like location. And then don't forget, when you come to the meeting as board members, make sure you're bringing your board packet and your association documents. Okay, let's switch gears and talk a little bit about the open meeting laws. So just as a little refresher, what are some of the things that we've talked about? We talked about using the agenda, making sure it's detailed, having the time benchmarks on it using a board packet that's organized in the same manner that the meeting's going to be run, giving notice to your owners of the board meeting under Arizona law, it's required 48 hours in advance of the meeting. And you have to have a notice for a regular board meeting and also for an executive session board meeting. Both of those are required to give you know, the notice to the members. Um, remember that that notice is typically done by conspicuous posting on the property, putting it on the website of the association, sending out an email, putting it in your newsletter. All of these are valid ways to notify your residents 48 hours in advance of the meeting. And then last but not least, have it in a business-like and neutral location, have that board meeting. Okay, let's talk about the open meeting law in Arizona. Arizona has a special open meeting law for HOAs and condos, and it's different than the open meeting law that applies to, let's say, school boards or city council. And so let's talk just briefly about what our special open meeting law in Arizona says. So under Arizona, and I'll give you the statute sections. If you're a planned community, it's ARS sections 33-1801. And if you're a condominium, it's 33-1248. And you could just Google those citations I just gave you if you want to look at the exact language of the law. You just Google ARS for Arizona Revised Statutes. And then the numbers, 33-1801 for planned communities and 33-1248 for condominiums. Okay, so what does this open meeting law, this special open meeting law say? So it says, anytime there's a meeting of the board of directors or a regularly scheduled committee meeting, these meetings are required to be open to all association members or their designated representatives. So anytime the quorum of the board is meeting to discuss association business, it needs to be noticed as an open board meeting. Anytime you have a committee that meets regularly, those regularly scheduled committee meetings need to be you know, noticed 48 hours in advance of the meeting. So at the meeting, the members or their designated representatives. So how do you become a designated representative? The member can appoint you in writing to be their designated representative. So the members or their designated representatives can attend the meetings, listen, and participate at appropriate times. So when is an appropriate time for a member to communicate with the board? 
What the requirement is, is that anytime the board's taking formal action on something, the members are allowed to contribute. And so typically what will happen is that the board member will make a motion, there'll be a second, and then there'll be discussion. If a member wishes to contribute something before the board votes or takes formal action on this, the member will need to raise their hand and ask to be heard. A lot of boards, um, although they're not required to, a lot of boards also have what we call a homeowner forum, either at the beginning of the meeting or at the end of the meeting where homeowners are allowed to you know, talk about anything, ask the board questions, make a comment about how things are going at the association. And so a lot of boards have that homeowner forum period as well as an opportunity for homeowners to provide feedback to the board. Um, let's switch gears and talk a little bit about executive sessions. Executive sessions are going to be the time where just the board is meeting to discuss executive session topics. And then, as I said earlier, executive sessions still do need to be noticed 48 hours in advance of the meeting, even if the homeowners can't be there, if it's just the board that meets during executive session. So what are the topics that a board can go into executive session for? I can give you, there's there's basically five topics that the board can go into executive session for, and I'm going to just give those to you briefly. And then I'm going to give you just the skinny on what are the, the wheel topics that, from a practical standpoint, that the board goes into executive session to discuss. Maybe I should do that first, because that's probably the easiest thing to remember. Okay, so most boards go into executive session when they're discussing advice from their attorney. That's the, you know, an easy answer. So if the attorney gives a an opinion on something, and it could be by email or a verbal opinion to a board member or manager, the board can discuss that during executive session. The board can talk about anytime you're thinking about suing an owner or anytime you're actually, the association's actually being sued. So where do we see that practically? It could be we're talking about delinquencies and violations are typically the times that we talk about that. Although I have seen a really large increase in number of lawsuits that are being filed for trip and falls in associations and also on architectural decisions gone bad for an association. So it's a pretty broad umbrella for you know, the second category that you can go into executive session. Third and fourth topics, we just don't go into executive session that often talk about, but they're notable, so I want to mention them. So the third topic you can go into executive session to discuss would be personal health and financial information about an individual member of the association, individual employee of a contractor for the association, or an individual employee of the association. So personal health, financial information about your owners, independent contractors, or employees of the association. The fourth topic you can go into executive sessions for is you're going to be discussing the job performance of, compensation of, health records of, or specific complaints against an individual employee of the association or an independent contractor of the association. And then last but not least, least the fifth topic is going to be discussion of the unit owner's appeal of any violation cited or any penalty imposed by the association. However, if the owner wants to go into the open session to discuss this, the owner has the right to move that to the open session. Okay, so let's go through just a real quick, you know, run through on that. So when can the board go into executive session? They have to notice the executive session meeting 48 hours in advance of the meeting. Some boards, when they send out their regular meeting notice agenda, they'll place at the bottom of the agenda after the regular meeting concludes, will go automatically into executive session. And when the board does that, they're going to want to make sure that they place on the agenda 
to identify the section under the law that authorized the board to close the meeting. For example, you could say we're going to go into executive session after the regularly scheduled board meeting and we're going to discuss delinquencies, violations and advice from our attorney. Um, and that's an important thing to remember. You are required under the law to state with particularity which section under the law that you're going into executive session to discuss. OK, so quick recap of executive sessions. The most common reasons that boards go into executive sessions and remember, it's just the board, not the homeowners unless the board invites a special guest, you know, like the manager or the attorney or maybe an owner that they're going to be discussing a violation or appeal on. The most common topics that boards go into discuss during executive session are advice from their attorney, delinquencies, violations, maybe threatened lawsuits against the association like trip and fall or maybe even an actual lawsuit against the association. We also see boards discussing performance of employees and vendors during executive session and, and also their compensation. Um, and so those are the most common topics that we see boards going into executive session for. So no-nos on executive session. Um, important that I talk to you about the mistakes that I often see boards making when they go into executive session. So sometimes a board will go into executive session to discuss an executive session topic, but then they veer off and start talking about something else. Like I was on a board meeting last week via Zoom and the board was veering off and they were talking about how they were unhappy with performance of a vendor. And then the next thing I knew, the board was veering off and voting to fire the vendor. And that is something that should be done in the open session. So when you're dealing with vendors as a board, you can talk about their performance. You can talk about their compensation during the closed session. But if you're going to hire or fire a vendor, that needs to be done during the open session. And really, that's that's it on executive sessions. It's it's not that complicated as long as you stick to the parameters of the topics that you can discuss during executive session. And you're going to be we're going to be talking about meeting minutes in a few minutes. But remember that executive session meeting minutes need to be taken for every executive session board meeting, as well as for any regular board meeting. And you'll want to make those a separate document so that they can be um, withheld from discovery if an owner wants to see them. And that just makes sense because if they can't be at the meeting for the executive session meeting, they shouldn't be entitled to see the minutes of the executive session meeting. Okay, let's just talk about a couple other little uh, aspects of the open meeting law that I think are important that you know about. The agenda has to be available to all owners attending the meeting. So if you're, obviously we talked about using the agenda as the notice of the meeting, that's one way to do it. Also, if you're having a virtual board meeting right now, um, you can share on your screen at the virtual board meeting on Zoom a copy of the agenda. If you're having your meetings in person, you can have an extra copies of the agenda there for owners who come have it at the entrance of the meeting and they can just grab a copy of the agenda so they can follow along. Let's talk a little bit about emergency board meetings. So there is a special exception under the law for emergencies. So if the board has a true emergency, and how is an emergency defined? An emergency is defined as the board cannot wait 48 hours to notify the membership through a notice of meeting. And so from time to time, there will be emergencies that come up on your board. And when that happens, you can have a regular board meeting. You can suspend the notice requirement that you would normally be required for having a regular open board meeting and have an emergency board meeting. And at that meeting, you have to take minutes and then you have to read into the record at the next regularly scheduled board meeting 
why you had an emergency meeting and what exactly transpired at that emergency board meeting. Let's see, informal board meetings. I get this question a lot, so I want to talk about it. So a lot of associations will say, hey, we just want to have a board meeting, a quorum of the board meet, and just chit-chat about association issues. We're not going to be making any formal decisions. So can we call it like a work study or an informal board meeting? And if we do that, do we still have to notice the board meeting? And then my answer to you on that is yes, you do. The law is very clear in Arizona that anytime a quorum of the board is meeting to discuss association business, it needs to be an open board meeting. So be mindful of that, whether you're making decisions or not making decisions. If you have a quorum of the board meeting to discuss association business, it needs to be noticed as a board meeting. A couple other little things to note, um, homeowners are allowed to tape and or video record open board meetings, but the board can pass reasonable rules and regulations as to how that is you know, accomplished by a homeowner. Now, what I can tell you is that probably 75% of our boards are still meeting virtually right now, and, and probably many of them are going to continue to meet virtually even after this pandemic is over. You know, a feature of using Zoom or whatever online platform that you're using is that the, the meetings are being taped automatically. And so if you have a homeowner who, you know, wants to tape it or whatever, I think you can just tell them, hey, you can make a request for the recording after the meeting that would comply with the law. Okay, one more thing on executive sessions that I'd like to mention is that if you go into executive session, be mindful when you're having it. So I've, the, the wrong way to do it is how I'm going to tell you right now. So the board has a regular board meeting, and then about 20 minutes into the regular board meeting, they decide they're going to go into executive session for 10 minutes and then come back and have the regular board meeting again after the executive session. And when this happens, I always cringe because but what happens is you have to ask everybody who's there attending the meeting, the regular board meeting to get up and leave and go wait outside or in the hallway or whatever. And people tend to get pretty agitated when they're asked to do that. So really what our recommendation is, plan to go into executive session either before your board meeting starts or after the meeting so that the members do not have to wait. And then remember, under the law, anytime you go into executive session, the agenda meeting notice is going to have to state the reasons why you're going into executive session under the law. I'm going to say something quickly on parliamentary procedure. Because I got a, an email earlier today, it was forwarded to me from um, a board member in Arizona who is the parliamentarian, and he had some comments about whether, you know, Robert's Rules of Order is how we should utilize Robert's Rules of Order for associations. So I just want to make a, a brief comment on that. Remember that associations are not required to follow Robert's Rules of Order Unless your association documents, typically it would be in your bylaws, state that you must follow Robert's Rules of Order. So oftentimes we'll hear maybe from owners who are residents saying, hey, you're not following parliamentary procedure under Robert's Rules of Order, you know, the revised edition. And I think our answer back is that, okay, our documents don't require us to specifically follow Robert's Rules of Order. But there are some aspects of Robert's Rules of Order that are helpful, like staying on one topic at a time, sticking to the agenda, giving every board member an opportunity to speak if they, they want to. So you don't want to get too hung up on that you're not following to a T Robert's Rules of Order if your association doesn't require you to follow it. 
couple things, some suggestions, just some reminders to make sure that your meetings run efficiently. And this is kind of our how to have a one-hour board meeting. Use that timed agenda that we talked about earlier in this presentation. That's super helpful to time the amount of time you're going to be spending on a subject. And if you go over that, you know, you may want to table continued discussion until next month's meeting. Remember, board members should be on time and prepared to discuss association business so that we're not starting meeting 10 minutes late or whatever. You know, the board president is really the team captain and they need to be guiding the meeting along, you know, the lines of the timed agenda and making sure that the board is staying on topic and not getting off deviating on topics that don't really pertain to what we're there today to discuss for business. Uh, make sure the board members are prepared. Make sure that they read their packets before they come to the board meeting so that they arrive ready and prepared to discuss association business. And then one really important thing is for the manager or maybe even the president, if you're arranging the agenda, present an issue with a solution or solutions. So one thing that I see, because I attend a lot of board meetings, probably thousands over the past 25 years, is that sometimes there's a complaint that pay boards never get anything done. And so one way for you to be really efficient and successful board is, so when there's a problem in your association, make sure that whoever is preparing the board for the meeting, which is going to be the time where the board's going to make the decisions, make sure that you give the board options as to how to handle the problem. Because sometimes what I see is, you know, maybe the manager raises a problem and then, you know, they say, oh yeah, that is a problem. And then at the next month's meeting, you're still talking about it. There's no solution. So for example, I have an association that has a problem with a structural problem in their building. And my recommendation to the board was have a structural engineer come out to see the issue and review the issue. And so at, the, at that next board meeting, the manager should be working with the president and there should be three bids from structural engineers and provide them with the scope of work that they're going to be doing so that then the board can make a decision. Okay, we need to make it a vote to determine which structural engineer is the best. And maybe the board also is going to need to know how much they're going to charge, the scope of the work that they're going to do. The manager should check references prior to that vote by the board and then put all that information in front of the board for the board to make a decision. So present an issue, but then also have the solution to the issue so that we can move forward and actually accomplish things. We talked a little bit at the beginning of this section on open board meetings about use of virtual board meetings. And, you know, for those of you who have been following our series of classes, you know, like I said, we've had over 40 classes since April of 2020, or March of 2020, um, most of our boards and anytime we do a poll on these classes, we're hearing feedback from residents, uh, board members, and managers that they're really preferring having the meetings virtually. So we want to encourage you to make sure you're checking out our cheat sheet on tips for conducting virtual board meetings. The pandemic has definitely changed how we're all doing business. Having this resource at your fingertips on how you can successfully have a virtual board meeting, I think could be a really useful tip for your board. So we're going to be sharing with you this cheat sheet today. If you're joining us on Zoom or via Facebook Live, you can also find our cheat sheet for tips for conducting virtual board meetings on our website at mulcahylawfirm.com. 
And that just gives you some really good suggestions on how to have an efficient um, and hassle-free virtual meeting. And interestingly, some feedback that I've heard from board members, the virtual board meetings that they're conducting are more efficient than having meetings in person. We get a higher attendance. We're accomplishing more and there's less agitation and people being upset and angry when this is on a virtual platform. So truly, even after the pandemic ends, this may be something that continues going forward on a regular basis. And I know that I'm going to be meeting with the neighborhood services departments of all the different cities that we're putting on these classes for us. And we're going to be talking about having virtual classes going into 2022, uh, maybe with a sprinkling of some in-person classes too. Okay, last two topics we're going to talk about, unanimous consent and email, and you know, in lieu of a regular board meeting. So be really careful on using unanimous written consent. I know that there are some management companies out there that are saying that this is okay. It's our firm's opinion that this is not okay. There have been two administrative law decisions by administrative law judges in Arizona that specifically say that use of unanimous by written consent by a board does not comply with the Arizona open meeting law. So we really encourage boards do not do that going forward. Also, we want to talk a little bit about emergency board meetings again. If a board has an emergency issue where you can't wait 48 hours to notice it, the board can make an email decision via email. It can be majority rules as long as there's minutes taken or the emails are kept and then those emails are read into the record at the very next board meeting. Last but not least, use of email in between meetings just to do general business. Be really careful on that, please. Remember, the intent of the open meeting law is to allow owners an opportunity to be present and listen during a regular board meeting. And if the board is making decisions in between board meetings that are not emergency decisions, you are violating the open meeting law. So what are some things that you can you know, exchange by email that wouldn't be violations of the open meeting law? You can say, here are three bids. We're going to discuss this at the board meeting, or the manager can give a weekly update as to the type of things that the manager has been working on over the week. And that's fine. You can schedule meetings by email, but when you're actively discussing association issues and with a quorum of the board by using the reply all feature, that is a violation of the open meeting law. Now, what are some loopholes on this where you can discuss things? Without violating the open meeting law, if it's less than a quorum, so let's say you have a quorum of three if you have a five-person board. So if you have two board members discussing something by email, that's fine. If they're discussing it in person and it's less than a quorum, that's fine too. Okay, let's talk very briefly about conflicts during regular board meetings. We all know that there are conflicts that come up from time to time. If you have board member conflicts, make sure that there's a difference between healthy discussions and maybe people disagree on things. And there's a difference between that and a board member that is just out of control and is basically making it difficult for your board to even discuss things or to get things done because they're constantly interrupting and making false accusations, etc. If you're a board that's in that situation, you may want to consider having a board boot camp meeting where you bring in a lawyer. Our firm does this often where we go into the board meeting and we have an actual boot camp and we talk about what are the issues? Why are people upset? 
What are the different personality types that are making up the board that might be contributing to this? And how can we all move forward? Because there's a reason we're all on the board, right? We all want what's best for our community. We may not all agree on the best way to get there, but we all want what's best to make our community function well and be fiscally sound and look beautiful and keep our property values up. So consider having a boot camp if your board is really dysfunctional and you need to kind of talk through issues so that you can get along better and be more professional in how you're handling things. What do you do if you have a gadfly? Where a gadfly is somebody who in your community comes to your board meetings with the purpose of interrupting your board meetings. So the best ways to deal with the gadfly would be announce at the beginning of the meeting what the meeting procedures are going to be. So you can say, you know, owners are allowed to participate for one minute or two minutes during the homeowners forum at the beginning of the meeting. And any other times that they're talking will be considered out of turn unless the board invites participation before the board takes formal action on something. Enforce those procedures uniformly. So if you have somebody who's yelling out or screaming or taking an aggressive physical stance with somebody, give them a warning and then boot them out of the meeting if they are not being, you know, following the rules or being reasonable. No one should be allowed to interrupt board meetings by speaking out of turn or raising irrelevant issues. And so when they do that, use the same strategy. Give them a warning and ask them to leave if they will, if they refuse to stop doing that. And remember, if you're a board member, you don't have to rebut the comments of any member or all members. So, you know, if somebody says something that is during the homeowner forum and, you know, they want the boards to comment on something and you don't have that information at your fingertips, it's okay to say, we really don't have that information here tonight. So unfortunately, we won't be able to comment on that or just say thank you for your comments. We appreciate you being here and caring about our association. Whatever you do, don't respond with anger argue or trade insults with an owner. It's unprofessional. It makes the board look bad. And it really creates like a level of chaos in your board meetings that you don't want to have. Okay, let's talk about meeting minutes and how to take perfectly proper meeting minutes. On our cheat sheet, which we've shared with you today on Zoom and via Facebook Live, if if you're interested in seeing this information, you can also find it on our website at mulcahylawfirm.com under the board meetings cheat sheet. So remember that the meeting minutes don't reflect every word that was said. Basically, what the meeting minutes do are they reflect the decisions of the board. So if I was going to give you a sample set of meeting minutes that I would recommend to the board, and I have these actually on the cheat sheet that we provided to you, um, basically, the meeting minutes should state what type of meeting is it? You know, is it a regular meeting of the board? Is it a special meeting of the board? Is it an executive session meeting of the board? you know, specify the date, the time, and the location. Talk about who attended the meeting. The most important thing would be the board members so that we know if we had a quorum or not. If you had any special guests like the manager, your attorney, or maybe your landscaper or another special guest, you know, you're going to have the approval of the previous meeting minutes. Basically, don't read those into the record. It's just a vote and minutes reflect that September 2021 board meeting minutes were passed unanimously. Officer and committee reports, you basically can just do a very short summary of what was described. It may be a sentence. The business of the meeting is going to be kind of the heart of the minutes. And basically, the most important things from the business of the meeting is 
anything that was decided by the board. So anytime there's going to be a motion, a second, and a vote by the board, that should be included in the minutes. You don't have to put, you know, word for word any what the discussion was during the discussion time period on that. The most important thing is what was decided. Um, and then last but not least, you know, when the meeting was adjourned and then the secretary's signature should be at the bottom of the minutes after the minutes are approved at the next regularly scheduled board meeting. So that's just a quick rundown on, on the meeting minutes. Remember that they are the official record of the board and you must take meeting minutes for any regular, special or executive session meeting of the board. Remember the meeting minutes should be brief, really. They should only be about one page. Um, and they're not official until they're approved at the next regularly scheduled regular board meeting of your board. You should have a minute book where all the minutes are kept. It may be electronic. It may be an actual notebook or a binder. But those minutes should be kept in with the official records at the association forever. Um, if you have an executive session meeting minutes, um, those should be kept separate from the regular meeting minutes. And so really, that's just a, a quick summary of, of everything you need to know about regular board meetings of your board and executive sessions and how to take perfectly proper meeting minutes. So for about the last 10 minutes of the, this presentation today, we're going to be talking about annual meetings. So annual meetings are different. It's a totally different topic than regular board meetings. So annual meetings are required under Arizona law to be conducted once a year. Now, a question that came up during the pandemic was, you know, let's say you didn't have an annual meeting in 2020 because, you know, we were supposed to have it in April and um, you didn't because of the pandemic. You weren't able to, you know, transition to do a virtual annual meeting. One thing that I would tell you is move forward. Make sure you're doing annual meetings every year going forward. And, and most of our clients actually did successfully have virtual annual meetings in 2020. And some have continued to have them in 2021. So in order to have an annual meeting, remember that you have to have a quorum of the members present. And that quorum amount will be listed in your association's bylaws. So you want to make sure that you know what that number is the minimum number of people that need to be present in order for you to conduct business. Arizona law provides a default quorum of 10% if your bylaws don't give a specific quorum amount. But most of your bylaws, I'd say like 95% of your bylaws will tell you specifically how many people you need to have present to have a quorum. And remember, you have to give notice of um, your annual meeting to the membership, not less than 10 not more than 50 days in advance of the um, annual meeting. And that is done by U.S. mail or by hand delivery. Most of our associations are using U.S. mail for their um, annual meeting notice requirements. The annual meeting, just like a regular board meeting, requires planning in order to have a successful annual meeting. So some thoughts that come to mind about the annual meeting you have to find candidates, right? So every annual meeting, kind of the main purpose of having your annual meeting is to elect directors to run the affairs of your association. So some of you may have a requirement to have a nominating committee in your bylaws. If so, you really do need to follow that. Some of you may not have that and you may need to you know, start looking for candidates. And we're going to talk a little bit about what to do if you don't have anybody willing to run for the board in a few minutes. But so the kind of the first step to prepare for the annual meeting is to either have a nominating committee or have the board or a committee looking to find candidates to fill any vacancies that are on the board. 
You have to give notice of the annual meeting, like I said, not less than 50, not more than, excuse me, not less than 10 days before the meeting and not more than 50 days before the annual meeting. You know, that notice typically has the ballots attached to the notice that's mailed to the owners and the ballots um, are going to state, you know, approval of last month's, last year's annual meeting minutes. It's going to have an opportunity for owners to vote for or against directors. And it may have other information that you may be voting on at the annual meeting. Maybe you're thinking about a special assessment for your association or a capital improvement project, or maybe your association is thinking about taking on a loan. So anytime that there are decisions that need to be made by the owners at an annual meeting, those should be listed on the ballot as well. Okay, so that ballot and the notice of meeting go out in advance of the meeting. You know, then we get to about a week and a half before the meeting. What are some things that should be on your radar? Um, and I'm sorry, I didn't mention this before, but we have a great cheat sheet on conducting an annual meeting. Okay, so you're about a week and a half before game time, right? The annual meeting is the most important meeting of the year for your association. It's the only time that all of your owners typically have the right to come to their meeting. It's the annual meeting of the association to hear about the state of affairs that are going on in your association, how the finances are, what things you accomplish, what some of your challenges may be. So it's really important to have a quorum, right? Because if you don't have a quorum, you can't have your annual meeting. So about a week, week and a half before the meeting, you should be doing a check-in on the absentee ballots that have been returned to determine how close are you to having a quorum. If you're not close, you need to pivot and come up with a plan to get more people to return those annual meeting ballots. Some associations have this really cool like uh, reminder system where they type in phone numbers and a reminder message is sent. Some associations send out emails to try to in increase the chances of getting a quorum. Um, some associations have a raffle and they offer prizes if you, know, you return your annual meeting mail-in or absentee ballot you qualify to be part of a drawing to win prizes. And typically those prizes are donated by your vendors. So a week and a half before to a week before the meeting, we really need to be looking at, okay, are we going to have a quorum? And if it doesn't look like it, we need to be pivoting to find ways to get more absentee ballots back so that we do get a quorum. Ideally, the day before the annual meeting, you're going to know you already have a quorum. That's the best case scenario. And then you can walk into the annual meeting with, you know, sigh of relief, knowing that, okay, we're going to have a quorum. There will be people that show up in person, of course, to help us establish a quorum. But it sure is nice to have that done before the annual meeting by absentee ballots. And, and really, just because you submitted an absentee ballot doesn't mean you're not going to come to the meeting in person. It just means that you're helping us do the paperwork to get us to a quorum for the annual meeting. Okay, so if you're having an annual meeting in person, you know, you want to make sure that the registration for people is really efficient and you want to have enough team members for your board of management company there to quickly check in people so that they're not long lines and the meeting starts late. And you're going to want to have an accurate roster of owners. You should have somebody with a laptop with internet who can look up uh, ownership records if anybody you know shows up and maybe they closed on their property a few days before the annual meeting and they want to vote. We want to be able to look that up on the Maricopa County recorder or assessor's office quickly so that we make sure we give them an opportunity to vote. Some associations have a social event part of their annual meeting. That's a great way to bond and, and have some team building in your association. So I would encourage you to do that. 
think about having a greeter at the door of the annual meeting to welcome people and show them, you know, you've already returned your mail-in ballot. You can just walk right into the meeting. If you still need to return your absentee or mail-in ballot, here's the line that you go to, et cetera. Um, have your governing documents there with you at the annual meeting in case some questions come up and we need to answer them. Make sure you have enough registration materials. Something that people really like to see at an annual meeting would be like last year's meeting minutes for the annual meeting. An agenda, the financial records or a summary so that they can follow along as the presentation is, is going. And typically, you can just put that right on the registration desk. Um, and then make sure you, you talk about as a board, are we going to allow nominations from the floor? candidates. Make sure you have a game plan on that before you even walk into the annual meeting, because that can be kind of confusing. And really kind of the, the rule of thumb on nominations on the floor are, you know, look in your bylaws to see if there's any requirement to have nominations from the floor. If there isn't, you know, the board makes a decision whether or not they're going to allow nominations from floor from the floor at the annual meeting. Okay, what are some tips on how the board can shine at the annual meeting? Remember, this is your most highly attended meeting of your community each year. Make sure you're prepared and organized and follow the suggestions that we gave you here tonight or this afternoon or this morning. And it's a good idea to have your association's president, you know, speak at the board meeting and have your treasurer at the annual meeting and have your treasurer speak at the annual meeting, giving a state of the financial affairs and the state of the state of the affairs of the association. Make sure you have enough handouts so that people can follow along. Make sure you start the meeting on time. It's always good to feed people. I always find that there's much better behavior if you feed them. So maybe have a, a party before the meeting starts or after the meeting where residents can socialize and um, have fun. You know, make sure you answer questions. This is the time for the homeowners to come and to come and things and ask questions. So be nice, be courteous, thank them for coming and do your best to try to answer any questions that they may have. Okay, what do you do if you can't get anyone to run for the board, right? We all know serving on the board is rewarding, but at times it can be a thankless and stressful job. So what do you do if your association is at the point where we can't find anybody to run for the board? Well, first, send a letter out from the board asking for volunteers. See if that anybody pops up that way. If that doesn't work, call or email committee members or maybe reasonable homeowners who have come to the board on issues before and see if they might be willing to serve on the board. If that doesn't work, something that our firm does is we send a letter out on behalf of the association just stating what the problems are if we can't find board members to serve on your board for your community. One potential outcome would be that a receiver would be appointed to your association to run the affairs. And let me tell you, that's super expensive. And that will result in a special assessment to pay for the receiver's um, fees. So usually if we send out a letter, having the attorney for the association send out a letter letting the residents know, hey, if we can't get anybody to volunteer, this is a potential outcome that could happen. I don't think I have ever sent that letter where we didn't get somebody to volunteer after receiving that letter. Um, then just continue to remind owners that, you know, in order to have a strong and successful community, we need new volunteers with fresh ideas. And it isn't a life sentence to serve on the board. You can just come on for a year or two and then move along. Recognize your board members at the annual meeting because they do volunteer a lot of time. So saying thank you and being nice and appreciative for all the time that they put in is um, really a great idea. So we've kind of given you the skinny on regular board meetings, everything you needed to know. 
and how to have a successful annual meeting. Really everything in between. We talked about executive sessions and how to have a quick regular board meeting. Thank you so much, all of you, for being here today for our 10th class of our 2021 virtual HOA and Condo Academy. Now we're going to go into our question and answer period. Okay, so the first question is, how do you record minutes during an executive session? What needs to be included and what should not be included? So executive session minutes are treated exactly the same way as regular board meeting minutes, except it's a totally separate document. So you're going to have the name of what type of meeting it is, an executive session, the date, the time, the location. Basically, you're going to be listing what was decided by the board during the executive session and whether or not there was a quorum at the meeting and when the meeting adjourned. So how do you record the executive session meeting minutes? Exactly the same way that you do the regular board meeting minutes. So if the secretary is taking minutes or maybe the, the manager, they're just going to do the same thing for the executive session that they did for the regular board meeting. So what needs to be included? What should not be included? Everything's included. Because remember, the executive session meeting minutes are not disclosed to anybody other than the board. So everything that we need to make a decision needs to be placed in there. And those minutes will not be released to owners who are not board members. Okay, the next question, what are the rules regarding process servers and gated communities? So you may want to take a look at, um, there's two laws for condominiums and planned communities that talk about 33-1262 for a condo. And planned communities are ARS 33-1819. Um, it kind of goes over what are the rules for process servers and gated communities. From my perspective, associations, you know, shouldn't be withholding access to an officer of the court. Process server is considered an officer of the court. They should be allowed to go back and, and do the business that they need to do in your community. And, and this really only comes up with gated communities but they should be checked in just like any other resident would be checked in. Um, the information regarding their, you know, their business and their license should be taken down by the manager or by the security guard, depending on who is, is looking at it. And they shouldn't be allowed to do a stakeout or anything like that. It should be go back, do your business and then leave. Okay. And again, the two statutes, if you want to do more of a deep dive on this for condominiums, it's ARS 33-1262. And for a planned community, it's ARS 33-1819. So planned communities 33-1819. Okay. Next question. Given open meeting law in Arizona pertaining to avoiding unintentional quorum of board members, is it allowed for a quorum to attend a committee meeting and not constitute a quorum? So can they take off their board member hats when they're serving as committee members? So here is my suggestion on this, is if you have a quorum of the board attending a committee meeting, it really just depends. I mean, I don't necessarily agree with your manager who says, yes, I actually agree more with you, where I would say, no, this isn't a good idea. So if you're going to have a quorum of the board attending a committee meeting and a quorum of the board attends to participate during the committee meeting, it needs to be noticed as a board meeting. And what you could do is just notice the committee meeting and then put an asterisk saying a quorum of the board will be present. So therefore, we're also noticing this as a board meeting. I suppose you could have a quorum of the board at a committee meeting and an agreement that the board members not, you know, less than a quorum 
will be allowed to talk. Um, and maybe the person that would make a quorum doesn't say anything, but that's really kind of iffy. And I would advise against that. Okay, next question. How to best handle a homeowner who feels as though a specific common area, tree grove, is their personal area, whereby this owner tries to direct various landscaping and tree pruning as done by the board and community manager? Okay, so I think a good thing, good way to handle this homeowner would be just to remind them, maybe give them a copy of the plat and say, okay, this is your property and this is the association's common areas. While we welcome your feedback, board ultimately makes the final decision regarding how these areas are landscaped. Next question from one of my favorite clients. When we conduct our board meetings, we go through the agenda and then open up the meeting for members' questions. If the ensuing questions are discussion and discussion do not result in board action at that meeting, do they have to be memorialized in the board meeting minutes? So great question. So do members' questions and the board's response to the questions, do they need, and they don't result in board action, do they need to be in the minutes? No. The only things that are required to be in the minutes would be that the board took this action. So motion, second, discussion, vote. Um, What you could do is you could just put that there were eight members who asked various questions and the board provided answers to those questions as best they could. That would be fine in the meeting minutes, but you wouldn't even have to put that in there if you didn't want to. Next question. As a board member, what can we do about a rogue member? He's using his position to give violations to neighbors. As a board, we've tried to stop him. He just contacts the management company and turns in violations without the board seeing them. Okay, so I'm assuming this rogue member is a board member. Maybe it's just a homeowner. I don't know. But if this rogue person is a board member and they're just, you know, telling manager, send out a violation letter, find this person, whatever. I think your board needs to talk about this at a board meeting and give direction to the manager in terms of how violation letters or how fines are processed. And if this is a concern, you know, the manager should only take direction from a majority of the board at a board meeting, and that should put an end to it. If this rogue member is a homeowner, again, just having a procedure in place so that the manager knows when and when not to act, I think is going to be really helpful for your community. Next question is, do you have suggestions on how to deal with 30-minute notice of director motion? So no time to discuss or review. So I'm not really sure in the context that you would be using this, but maybe I'm guessing right before, you know, they don't give you any notice and then um, they want to make a quick motion and there's not enough time to discuss or review something. I think really the best way to handle it is for the board to say, you know, hey, this is a new topic. I think we need a little time to digest this. I think we need to do a little more research. And we're not prepared tonight to make decisions on this. So we're going to put this off until the next meeting. So table this and we'll discuss it at our November board meeting. I think that's probably the best way to handle it. But recognize that if you have a majority of a quorum that's ready to move on this, you know, they're going to be able to make a decision at that board meeting. One thing you may want to look at is if it's not on your notice of meeting agenda, as a topic that's going to be discussed, it may not be something that you can discuss unless the members are notified of it. So you may want to take a look at that. I don't know specifically what types of things you're voting on, but um, like amendments to the bylaws or the CCNRs, those would all need to get you know 48 hours notice to the members 
So you might want to take a look at that. Next question. When does the 48 meeting notice start? When, when notice is posted, when notice is mailed, or after estimated receipt of meeting notice? So we're talking here about regular board meetings. So when does that 48-hour meeting notice start? It starts as soon as it's posted, whether it's posted on your website, um, on your common areas of your association, when the email is sent out. It's not reliant on the owners actually opening the email or opening their mail. It's, it's when it was actually sent. So um, I find that most boards don't mail 48 hours notice of regular board meetings to owners. That's just not something we really see very often. Most of them are going to be posting it, putting it on email out to the members, putting it on the website. And as soon as that is sent or placed in those areas, it is when the 48 hours notice starts. Next question, we're on question nine. Does Arizona law require anything in regards to HOA insurance? I noticed there isn't a section on insurance in our CCNRs. So great question. So we have a cheat sheet on this topic, which I under my office is telling me they already provided to. So A plus office, thank you very much, Morgan and Yvonne, for being so on top of it. For those of you who may be interested, who are listening in, and this isn't your question, on our website at mulcahylawfirm.com, we have a great cheat sheet called insurance. And it kind of outlines the different types of insurance that associations are required to have um, under you know, your documents and typical insurance that most associations have. If you don't have any requirement for insurance in your documents as a baseline, it looks like our firm's um, sharing the cheat sheet on insurance right now. So thank you very much for doing that team. The most common types of insurance that associations should have would be like premises liability insurance, directors and officers insurance to protect the directors and officers should they be sued or any decision that they'd be making as an officer or director in the association, you should have a fidelity bond, which covers the association in the event that there's some sort of fraud or misappropriation of funds. Um, those are really the three types of insurance that, so premises liability, directors and officers, and then a fidelity bond. Arizona law does have some information on insurance. It's in the Condominium Act, and I don't know if you're in a condominium or not, but our cheat sheet on insurance has the links to those uh, sections in the Condominium Act. And the Planned Communities Act, interestingly, does not have anything on insurance in it. Next question, question 10. Can a board member be part of an executive meeting if he is part of a complaint? He is the person complaining. Should the board be discussing this at executive session or should it be at the open meeting? Okay, so I, I don't quite know what the complaints regarding, but if it's a violation or a delinquency, it certainly can be done during an executive session. And I don't know if this board member is part of the complaint. It sounds like he's just complaining. Maybe it's about like a neighbor's violation or something. I mean, as long as this person is reasonable, I mean, because I'm a board member in my community and there are times that I will text or I'll email our manager and say, hey, can you look into this violation, right? And I mean, I don't have any bias or anything like that. I just feel it's part of my job as a director to notify her if there's something that's broken. And so I think it really does depend on the situation. Like let's say the board member is fixated on a issue with a homeowner and they've almost lost objectivity. Well, in that case, then maybe we do need to tell the board member to take a step back and, you know, maybe they recuse themselves. It really just depends. But in most cases, I'd say, no, they should still be allowed to vote as a board member as long as they can be objective and as long as they can be fair. 
but if they're man overboard, so to speak, and they can't be objective or fair, you should have your attorney write that board member letter and suggest that they recuse themselves or not be present for any discussion on this issue, you know, going forward. What about board meetings that are held by email and decisions being made by unanimous vote of the board? Okay, so we talked a little bit about this in our presentation. The only time that a board can have an email board meeting is when there's a true emergency and you can't wait 48 hours to notice the meeting. That's the only time that there's a loophole for you to have a board meeting by email, okay? And just a, a quorum of the board could make a decision in an emergency circumstance by email. As I said earlier in the presentation, use of unanimous written consent is not advisable based upon the two decisions that have been decided in Arizona by administrative law judges who have said specifically that associations, association boards that use unanimous written consent, even if it's in your bylaws, is a violation of the Arizona Open Meeting Law. So be really careful. And I still see this. Surprisingly, I still see management companies telling boards it's okay to have a unanimous consent, you know, a decision if it's not an emergency. Um, and I, I think that is contrary to, you know, the open meeting law and those two administrative law judge cases. Uh, we're on question 12 right now, and I'm just going to give you a count of how many total we have. It looks like we have about 31 questions. So question 12 is, I'm on a board of three people. The president has been on the board, sometimes by herself, for over 20 years. She has brought her, she has brought on others to the board during this time. I'm being categorized as a gadfly. That's critical because I'm critical and problematic. I have strongly suggested that we have a board boot camp because the meetings are really dysfunctional and ineffective. Our meeting times are inconvenient for homeowners. How do we move forward and be transparent? Okay, so you're one of three. So you need to start working on the other board member or maybe your management company to just start talking about, hey, I'm feeling like things are really dysfunctional on our board. And I think it would be helpful for all of us to have a boot camp where we talk about issues. And, you know, maybe that the president let go a little bit. She's been on the board for 20 years. And maybe we start looking at some opposing viewpoints and doing things differently. The reality here, I'm sorry to tell you, is that unless you have a majority on your board, which would be two people, Thinking that you need it, you know, you're not going to be able to have a boot camp. Maybe your manager can strong arm the board to do it, but it's probably doubtful that that is going to happen. So what I would do is try to run a candidate against the president who is more like-minded like you. If it's really a problem, maybe have a removal petition for the president. If there's really just cause why this person needs to be removed, although the removal statute doesn't require it be for cause, but I think people are reluctant to sign that unless there actually is a problem and they think that this person does need to be replaced. So hopefully the, those are some tips that can help you as you navigate this difficult situation. Next question. If the board members are friends and a quorum of these boards or friends are meeting, if no decisions of the board are being made, does this fall under the definition of an open meeting requiring 48 hours notification? So it's okay for a quorum of the board to meet as friends as long as you're not discussing association business and as long as there's no decisions being made. Next question from my very favorite Packer fan. Our governing documents were created by the developer in 2002. And the language contained therein indicates that flagpoles and presumably flags are not allowed. 
As a veteran, I would like to install a flagpole on my property in my planned community and proudly display the American flag. Are you aware of any federal or state statute change that would be applicable? Okay, I know I know this particular person who asked the question because I, like I said, he's fellow Wisconsinite and Packer fan like me. And so we have a cheat sheet that this person should go to, our top 10 cheat sheet where we talk about flags. If you live in a planned community, you are entitled to have a flagpole on your property. And so you should be able to submit an architectural application form and um, you should be able to install a flagpole on your property. And the, the statute under Arizona law for planned communities that says this is 33-1808 and condominiums 33-1261. Now, in a condo, it's a little bit different. You can only you know, hang the flag off of your um, limited common element area. So keep that in mind. Next question. Do executive minutes need to be approved at the next executive board meeting? Also, where do executive minutes need to be stored? Secretary home or association office? So yes, the executive session meeting minutes need to be approved at the very next executive session after that board meeting. You know, where do we store them after they've been approved? You know, really anything goes, but it, it needs to be with the corporate records of the association. So I'd prefer if you had these records electronic so that they're not lost, but it could be kept in a binder at the secretary's home. They could be kept at the association's office. It really just depends. I mean, multiple people can keep the records too. Question 16, what constitutes items or topics that require a survey of the owners? For example, we're changing our rules and some of the board believes we need input from every homeowner by notifying, sharing, and getting input. Others of us and the manager believe it's a discussion and vote by the elected board since it's been notified in the agenda and the homeowners for months now. Follow-up question is that the same board members believe other items like painting, lightning, lighting in the community should also require a survey of the members. Okay, so this is a pretty classic example of, you know, some board members wanting to take it to the people on everything and some board members you know, saying, listen, we're complying fully with Arizona law. We're noticing this in our notices that we're discussing this. And if they had a true interest, they would be coming to the meeting and giving us feedback. Honestly, there's really no right answer on what constitutes an item or topic that requires a survey of the homeowners. What I would say is if it's a really controversial topic, you should be surveying the homeowners. But if it's something that's not controversial, then I think just putting it in the meeting notice and discussing it in an open board meeting is you know, sufficient. Next question, we are in the process of amending our community's documents. Should we include a statement indicating virtual meetings are acceptable for conducting association business? Uh, yes, great idea. Definitely, you should do that because I think this is gonna be a change that goes forward in our associations. I think the pandemic Forcing us to have virtual meetings is going to change how associations do business in the future. Okay, we are on question 18 out of 31. So this question is, when a meeting is held via Zoom or other such conference, what is the board's responsibility to make sure that homeowners have access or know how to work such applications to be able to participate? We recently had a meeting by the board and many homeowners could not attend or participate as they did not know how to work the features and many logged on but could not comment or participate as they didn't know how to work the chat and raise hand options. Okay, so, I mean, what I would recommend is, I mean, if you're using a virtual platform to have your meetings, 
everybody has a phone. So people can dial into the virtual board meetings. So, you know, I would say everybody should have access to this. But it, there is kind of a learning curve on Zoom. And most of us transitioned pretty easily on this in, in March and April of 2020. You could send out YouTube videos on how to participate in a Zoom meeting. You could offer to have your manager or board member, you know, do a short tutorial for these people that need help. You know, I would make as much resources available to them so that they are aware how they can participate. But ultimately, if there's a technology challenge, you know, getting them the, the meeting minutes shortly after the meeting is a successful way to keep them informed or showing them a video of the meeting after the fact, um, that's also another good way to keep them informed. So bottom line is, you know, do they have a responsibility responsibility to do this? Well, no legal responsibility, but you should try to make your best efforts to help everybody so that they can participate if they want to. Next question, if your board is composed of only three members, they can't even talk to each other between board meetings since two members talking to each other would represent a quorum, correct? That's correct. If you're talking about association business and you have a three-member board, two of you talking about association business is going to constitute a quorum and is going to require you to notice the meeting. Next question. Our board is all snowbirds except for one. They're gone seven months of the year. We're self-managed and they don't always re reply to concerns. And they tell us, wait until we return. We only have one meeting each year, an annual meeting. I feel I have failed gutter, water damage from that and a roof leak that needs repair. Other owners are ignored. How do owners proceed to preserve our property? Okay, this is a problem. I mean, just based, based on what you're telling me, your board should be meeting more frequently, especially because there are maintenance issues right now in your community. And so what I would recommend is that when they come at your annual meeting, which will be your next you know, large meeting, I would recommend that you raise this issue and say that you're concerned that there's no response in a timely manner and try to get the board to have meetings quarterly or monthly if they're willing to do that. Um, they may not be. And if they aren't, maybe it's time to get a new board where they are more people live on the property and are or more people are willing to do their fiduciary responsibilities to your community. So if you can't get these items that you need repaired, like the water damage and the roof leak, you should be sending the board a letter saying, if you don't do this, I'm going to take legal action. And then if they continue to fail to do it, unfortunately, you're going to have to take legal action. Okay, next question. Do serial discussions about board business among fewer than a quorum of members violate the open meeting law? If you have fewer than a quorum discussing association business, it's not a violation of the open meeting law. Next question, we have lost valuable archived information from one management company to another and one board to another. What is the best process for keep for from losing this information? An example of this would be a warrantable item that was repaired under warranty because no knowledge of the warrantable item was transferred or questioned by the next board. Okay, the best way to keep from losing this information is really to have all of your records in a digital format. You know, that truly is the smartest thing to do. And then, you know, making sure that that digital format of your records is transferred whenever you're changing from, you know, new management company to new management company or as board members come and go in your association. Um, on the warranty issue, maybe you should call the, com the company and ask for a copy of the warranty 
that might be a way to recreate the information on that. Next question, how much detail should meeting minutes include about votes? Who proposed, who seconded, should they reflect who voted for and who against, or just a tally of the result? Um, I think best practices would be to include who made the motion, who seconded it, that there was general discussion, and then only if someone requests, someone on the board requests that there be a listing in the minutes of who voted for or against, put that in there. Um, otherwise, it's just the motion carried five to four or whatever the issue is, and you don't have to list the names. But if somebody on the board wants the names in there for the actual vote count, the board should do that. Next question. In regards to annual meetings, what do you mean by a quorum for the ballots? A percentage of the homeowners? Okay, really good question. So in order to have your annual meeting, you need to have a quorum of the owners present in person or by absentee or mail-in ballot. So let's say that your quorum for your association is 25% for your annual meeting. So that will be in your bylaws typically under the quorum section under annual meetings or meetings and members. And so in order to get, let's say you have 100 homes in your association and you have a 25% quorum, that means that for your annual meeting to move forward and for business to be conducted, you'll need to have 25 owners, and it's typically one vote per lot, attend in person or by absentee or mail-in ballot. Next question, why can't the annual meeting notice be sent out by email to keep our costs down? I totally agree, but it's the law. The law says that the annual meeting notice needs to be sent by U.S. mail or you can hand deliver it. So if you want to keep the cost down, hand delivery would be an option. Problem is, what if you have offsite owners? Um, you won't be able to hand deliver it to them. And in those cases, you might just want to mail it by U.S. mail to those offsite owners and then hand deliver the rest. But I will tell you that truly... Most associations have the notice sent by U.S. mail to be in compliance with Arizona law. Next question. We meet quarterly and have used email approval for architectural requests. Then we add them to the next meeting or like an approval after the fact or approval of the decision at a later time. That way we can respond quickly to people's requests. Is this legal? It just depends on what your documents state, but I, I think most associations, frankly, are doing it this way. So their architectural committee is, you know, making decisions outside of a architectural committee meeting. And they can do that because they're not a regularly scheduled board, right? Regular scheduled committee meeting, excuse me. And then at the next board meeting or at the next architectural committee, they read into the record what was decided outside of the meeting, and then they approves those formally after the fact in minutes. So I think that's fine. That's what we'd like to do. Um, now, if your architectural committee meets regularly, however, you would need to notice that and make that an open board meeting, open architectural committee meeting, and then um, you would need to, you wouldn't be able to make those decisions by email because you're required to follow the open meeting law if um, you have regularly scheduled committee meetings. Okay, we're on question 27. We have 31 questions total, so we have about five left. It looks like we still have a, a large number of you still listening in on the questions, so that's great. The next question, let's see, are we not allowed to send out notices of annual meetings and ballots on email? We send invoices and other meeting notices and agendas in this matter. I kind of along the same lines of the prior question, just the law requires it to be sent by U.S. mail or it requires it to be hand-delivered, the annual meeting notices. So, you know, you have to do it that way. 
Next question, in an open meeting, should all questions be held until the end of the meeting or be addressed at the end of each agenda topic? So really, it, it just depends. I'm, I'm guessing you're saying questions from the owners. Here's the only time that owners are required to be allowed to speak at an open board meeting before the board takes formal action on something. So if there's a motion to approve something or take a certain action, there's a second. During the discussion period, if an owner wants to talk during that time period, the board has to allow a reasonable number of owners for or against an issue to talk. Um, so if somebody has questions, you could have those questions be handled during the homeowner forum if your board's doing that either before or after the meeting, but they don't have to be addressed after each agenda topic. Like I said, the only requirement is to have members be allowed to speak before the board takes formal action on something. Okay, last three questions. Isn't there value in providing information in minutes about discussions concerning matters? particularly where there's a diversity of opinions so that homeowners who are not present have a sense of what facts or viewpoints the board has the board has considered. So I think there is some value to that. However, it's really not required. So your board just needs to find a balance between putting enough information in there that homeowners can be informed versus not so much extraneous, unnecessary information in there that it's becoming a book. So it's, it's a balance. Now, if you ever have a board member that says, I want my viewpoint in the minutes, then of course you should put that in the minutes. Next question, when should the board adopt a resolution as opposed to making the topic part of the rules and regulations? You know, that's a tough question because it really just depends on how broad your rulemaking authority is in your documents. So if you have broad rulemaking authority and this is a topic that should be in the rules, then put it in the rules. If it's, you know, a resolution, you know, where it's not something that would be traditionally covered by a rule, then, you know, call it a resolution. Um, but really, resolutions are becoming pretty outdated. You know, most associations are, you know, want to keep it formal record, the association. They talk about it in minutes or they pass a rule or a regulation on something. Okay, the next question is the last question. And this is kind of more feedback for me. So I'm going to just reread the, the question that was asked. Can you clarify email decisions by a quorum of board members and why that's prohibited? So sure. So remember we talked about the open meeting law and anytime a quorum of the board is discussing association business, it needs to be an open board meeting with 48 hours notice to the members. So if a board is making decisions by email, members can't see the decision-making process. They can't see the vote. And therefore, that would violate the open meeting law. Remember, we said that the only exception to this would be in an emergency circumstance where the board has to make a decision and can't wait 48 hours. In those circumstances, it's my opinion that the board can make a decision by email on you know, emergency votes. The next part of this question is, can you recommend how to handle board member response to individual homeowner emails? Just be really careful on that because if homeowners are individually emailing board members, if the board member responds, it really looks like that board member is talking on behalf of the entire board. And so I would really prefer if board members don't individually respond to owners. Um, what you might want to do is respond that, hey, thanks for your email. I'm going to forward this to our community manager or the president. And one of those two people will respond on behalf of the board. 
follow up on this question was that our president of the board has directed other officers to not respond to individual owner emails. I agree. I think that's a good policy. I support that. I understand the decision on that. The next part of this question is clarify that responses to owners are appropriate, but what cautions you would recommend? Okay, so this person who's asking a question wants me to you know, agree with them. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that whoever responds on behalf of the association should have the support of the board. And so typically the manager or the president should be the only two people that are responding to emails from homeowners. Maybe it's just the manager. Also, one thing that they asked me to cover in this question is, what if the board uses a reply all function and they copy a quorum of the board and then everybody's replying all and you know it turns into a discussion via the reply all function on a computer? Be very careful on that. That's a violation of the open meeting law. So anytime a quorum of the board is using the reply all function and quorum of the board is on the reply all as their addresses, you potentially are violating the open meeting law. Thank you so much, all of you, for being here today for our 10th class of our 2021 virtual HOA and Condo Academy. Um, I'd like to take this time to thank again the different neighborhood service departments from around the valley who make these classes possible. So thank you for partnering with our firm to the cities of Avondale, Chandler, Glendale, Goodyear, Mesa, Peoria, Phoenix, Scottsdale, Surprise, and Tempe. You've been great teammates, and we appreciate your continued partnership with our firm to provide these free, amazing virtual classes to many residents um, you know, in your respective cities. If you'd like more information on these classes, please visit our website at mulcahylawfirm.com and click on the Seminars tab. And don't forget, um, we have classes in November and December via our 2021 Virtual HOA and Condo Academy with the Neighborhood Services Departments. So be sure to check out those classes on our website as well at mulcahylawfirm.com. We have two classes scheduled for November and one class scheduled for um, our end of the year class in December of 2021. So have a great week, everybody. Thanks for joining us here today. We appreciate you being here and I look forward to seeing you again virtually for our classes over the last few months of 2021. Take care, be safe and have a great rest of the week. Don't forget our free cheat sheets are available for download at mulcahylawfirm.com. Please go to iTunes or your favorite podcasting platform and leave us a rating and a review. Thank you for listening. Thank you.